Lonely song, the songs for you. One of the things that esoteric teachings talk about that is not very well understood is being. And so I thought I'd talk a little bit about being so that we could increase our understanding of being. How long have you been? Anyone? The clever people will, and there aren't any clever people here because nobody did it. I was thinking the quick among you would give your age. But how can you be sure? You don't really know. But what we do know about our being is what we can remember of it or what we know of it now. And we don't really know much of it now because we're not busy looking at our being. We're busy being. And part of the process of being for us is being unconscious, (laughs) being mechanical being unaware, being unenlightened about who and what we are. Be is a difficult verb to be. It's not only a difficult verb to conjugate, because it's so weird. Be is just a weird word. But because the idea of being is extremely difficult to grasp. And the reason it's difficult to grasp is because we think in terms of the five senses. And being is not something that can be grasped with the five senses or by the five senses. Now, Spanish has two verbs for the word to be, ser and estar. Native English speakers have trouble with these two words. English lets you use be to tell how something is, so that would be its condition. But it also lets you use the exact same word, be, to say what it is. So it will let you say its condition is this, And it will also let you say, its essence is this. Spanish doesn't do that. So you would say, how is the apple? Or the apple is green. Well, that means not ripe. It's a condition. The apple is green. Now you say the same thing. The apple is green. But now you mean the color of the apple, the essence of the apple. So it's a green apple, and even when it's ripe, it's green. It's not red. So it doesn't have anything to do with condition. It has to do with its essence. So how is the apple? The apple is not ripe. What color is the apple? The apple is green. So we have this one word that really tells us all this stuff, and we have to ask a lot of other questions to find out, well, what is it really saying? With Spanish, it's not like that. Spanish lets you do it another way. Spanish lets you say the apple is green, meaning not ripe, Esta, but it has another verb, another word to say the apple is green in essence. The apple, what is the color of the apple? The apple, es, so la manzana es verde. It's right there. It's all settled right there. You know whether something, it's the condition of something or whether it's the essence of something. We don't have anything like that. Now, someone wrote to me and said, well, do you think that it's easier for Spanish speakers to be more aware and more awake because they have this. And they don't say, I am hungry. They say, I have hunger. They don't say, my name is. They say, I am called. Mm. Do you think Spanish-speaking people are more awake? And my answer is no. Spanish speakers are not more awake. I know. I've lived in Spanish-speaking countries, and they're not more awake than we are. It all is taken for granted. It's all just what they grew up with. It's all acquired, and none of it has much meaning for anyone until they bring meaning to it. And the only way to bring meaning to it is to wake up to the meaning. And that takes effort, and people are not making effort. So, to understand being, we have to walk around it many times, observing it from every possible perspective in an attempt to connect all of its parts. 
Now, of course, if you're going to understand being, the very best place to start is to understand your being. So if you're going to work on it, it's best to observe it in yourself. We observe other people's being all the time, and we're experts on judging and condemning and fixing their being. Nothing ever changes, but we seem to take great delight in pointing out flaws in other people's being when we don't see any in our own. Or if we do, it's not nearly as important as the flaws in their being. You'll remember that understanding is the ability to properly connect one thing to another in its right relationship. So we all know that that things will go together wrongly. What is that place where people go to buy furniture that you put together? Ikea. <laughs> you go and you buy a piece of furniture and you bring it home. You could put it together the wrong way. I mean, it is possible to do that. So it is possible to have misunderstanding by putting things together the wrong way. Proper understanding is the ability to properly connect one thing to another in its right relationship, the way it's supposed to be connected, not the way you haphazardly connected it. It said your being attracts your life. Everybody's heard this. We've said this many times. And it can't be understood superficially because it has very dense meaning with many layers and facets. For example, your being attracts your life is used by many people to bludgeon other people with. They look at it like, well, your being attracted that. It's your fault. You deserve everything you get. Now, what is that? Well, that's kind of a nasty negative being. That's you being nasty and negative. You trying to get over on somebody else, which is your being, and that's what you need to be observing, not them. Misunderstanding is the easiest thing because it's mechanical. It takes no conscious effort. It's automatic for the mechanical circle of humanity. Just for a reality check here, you and I, we, and all of the people listening to this, every person who can hear this, Every person who ever will hear this is part of the mechanical circle of humanity. Now, that's going to be a big shock for some people because they were pretty sure that they've been working on being in the conscious circle of humanity. And you don't have to work on being in the conscious circle of humanity. You're either conscious or you're not. The people who have to work are the ones who are in the mechanical circle of humanity. The people in the conscious circle of humanity don't have to work on becoming conscious. We're the ones who have to work on becoming conscious. So just remember where you are, who you are, what you are. You are part of the mechanical circle of humanity. I am part of the mechanical circle of humanity. This work is meaningful to those of us in the mechanical circle of humanity. It comes from the conscious circle of humanity. But for them, it's not work. It's just what they're being. What we're being is mechanical. What we would like to be being is conscious. In order for that to happen, it's going to take conscious effort, among other things. If you wish to move out of the mechanical circle of humanity into the conscious circle of humanity, you will have to begin the study of your own being. It will happen no other way. It's not going to, one day on your birthday or one day on a certain date, you're going to be conscious. You'll be a part of the conscious circle of humanity. You're not going to evolve into the conscious circle of humanity unless you do something to make that evolution take place, to make that transformation take place. It's not going to happen for the majority of people, not anytime soon. Most people are going to die like dogs, unconscious, unaware. Everything has its being. A stone has its being. A flower has its being. An animal has its being. But what does this mean? 
We clearly don't know because we don't know our own being or respect the being of anything else. What do we respect? What being do we respect? We respect our own being, sort of, not even. Look at how we treat ourselves. Look at the junk we put into our bodies. Look at the things we do to ourselves, putting ourselves at risk. We know people who smoke, for example. Okay, There's evidence now, enough evidence, that smoking is not good. It's not a healthy habit. It's not good for your teeth. It's not good for your gums. It's not good for your lungs. It's not good for your tongue. It's not good for your lips. It's not good for any part of your body. Yet, people do it. They say, well, yes, I know, but everybody has to die somehow, and everybody's got to die. This makes me happy. This is what I want to do. It's an addiction. That's clear, too. There's no question about it. It's an addiction. And people still do it. So if we have respect for our own being, why do we disrespect it in that way? Why do we disrespect our bodies and our being in that way? This is why our being attracts our life is not understood. Or worse, it's misunderstood. There are things worse than not understanding. One of those things is misunderstanding. It's better not to understand than it is to misunderstand. Because when you misunderstand, you think you understand. And so you think you've got it. There's no one more lost than the person who knows they're not lost. They wander around lost, thinking they're not lost, so they never acknowledge, I'm lost and I need to find the right way. And as I said, it's used to bludgeon one another rather than invite us to observe our own being. Our being attracts our life is like, well, that's a club. Imagine your being as a bubble surrounding you. I know this is a little weird, but just imagine that you're the, like the boy in the bubble. There's this bubble surrounding you, and that's your being. And it attracts certain things and repels other things. Let's take, for example, a magnet. Have you ever played with magnets? And they're one side, the magnet has poles, negative and positive poles. And if you take the positive poles and try to put them together, there's like this invisible little squishy bubble between them. You know, like a little squishy invisible ball or something. And you push it and they push it. You can, if you're strong enough and the magnet's weak enough, you can push the two together. But as soon as you let go, boing, they spring apart, or they'll twist around and connect the other way. And it happens at either pole. If you try to put the two positive poles or the two negative poles together, you have this squishy, invisible ball in the middle that won't let you push them together. So look at it that way. It attracts certain things and repels other things. Okay? This is what your bubble is like. And we blame people for this because we fail to comprehend the meaning of being, and therefore the meaning of being attracting our life. Because we don't understand the meaning of being, we don't understand your being attracts your life. And we end up using it to harm ourselves or to judge and condemn other people. This being bubble, as it were, has its own intelligence. The being bubble of a dog gives it the ability to find its master in a crowd. Dogs just do that. The being bubble of a cat makes it sit at the door and go <coughs> when it sees a bird and its whiskers jump and it jumps at the door. It's just the being bubble of that cat. It's what it means to be a cat. And what it means to be a dog is to, you know, wag its tail when it sees somebody. You know, and if it doesn't have a tail, we've cut its tail off to make it look more like we want it to look, to make its being fit what we think its being should be. And if we alter it in some way, then it wags its whole body. Why? Because that's the being bubble of a dog. That's the being of a dog. And a stone 
Why is a stone hard? Why does a stone get cold at night and then warm in the sun? It's because that's the being bubble of a stone. And so we need to understand this, and we don't understand this. That's why the meaning of your being attracts your life is not understood and is so misused. It's like when we were in Scotland, you remember um, Greybriar's Bobby. They had the statue in Edinburgh of Greybriar's Bobby. It was a little dog that after its master died, went to its master's grave every single day and sat there every day from morning till night and then would go home until it died. It's like that's the being of a dog. People don't do that. Rarely do people ever do anything like that. They move on. But the dog didn't. Now, not all dogs, obviously, but enough of them to be able to say that dogs have that in their being, that loyalty and love to their master. Even if their master's a jerk, Look at all this dog-fighting stuff, you know. People have taken the loyalty, the being of a dog, and then used it for really wicked, evil things. Dog-fighting, pitting them against each other, and, or having a dog attack a human being. Those are not nice things to do with the being of a dog, to do with their loyalty. And the being bubble of a tree has the intelligence to endure, to turn earth, sun, and water into oxygen, leaves, and food, for other beings. And the tree just knows how to do that. And it doesn't even know how to do that. It just does that because it's part of its being. Everything possesses a being. That being is like a bubble, which is its life, and through which it is acquainted with a world of which man knows little or nothing. What do you know of the being of a housefly and what its life is like and what it does and what it's about and what it looks for and what drives it? We know nothing, or little or nothing about it. A housefly lives an average of seven days. That's it, a week. Its life is a week. What is that like for that being? We don't know. We have no clue. Now you know that a housefly lives an average lifespan of a week. But before that, you probably didn't know that. And we don't know about the being of anything because we don't know about our own being. But it is through your being that you acquaint yourself with life and your world. Our arrogance, which is the result of small being, prevents us from seeing each being has its own form of pain, distress, and happiness. We think that what causes us pain causes everyone pain, but it's not so. There are some people who are not pained by the things that we're pained by, but we don't take that into consideration because we don't take being into consideration. Our being acts much the same as a magnet with that invisible part that attracts and that invisible part that repels. And it's no use whinging about your or another person's being, though that won't stop the ignorant from broadcasting their ignorance with great pride. You'll find people whinging about other people's being all the time. Well, she is this way, and he is that, and, he, they, and they should be, and blah, blah, blah. But you'll find them all the time going on and on about what other people should be doing. But it doesn't do any good. If you're not prepared to go into a cave to live out the rest of your life, you're going to be faced with a life attracted by your being. And even if you go into a cave, all you're going to do is trim some of it down. You're still going to be stuck in there with you. So you may not be able to attract certain people, but you're going to be stuck in there with you. And the imaginary people that you make up, guess what they'll be? They'll be the people that you would have attracted in life, both good and bad, both pleasant and unpleasant, because that's what good and bad means to us. It means pleasant and unpleasant. The only way to change what happens is to change your being. And knowledge is the first step toward change of being. 
we somehow get this idea that we'll just grow up and be different. But you look at the kids that we've raised, and you look at your first daughter, Jess. She was just this certain way. And now, how old is she? 21. 21. She's pretty much the same way. I mean, she pretty much has the same being. Not much has changed. And look at all of them, all of the kids. All of them pretty much are what they started off like. And it's because it takes a long time to change your being. And it doesn't happen in the first 21 years of your life. It doesn't happen until your second education. What that means is knowledge is the first step toward change of being. You have to gather new knowledge, different knowledge. Not the knowledge that you need to live life. The knowledge that you need to get through school, the knowledge that you need to get a job, the knowledge that you need to get married, the knowledge that you need to have children. No, it's a different kind of knowledge. The knowledge that changes your being is the second education. It's an entirely different thing, and it's an elective course. It's not required by life. It's an elective. You don't need it to graduate to the grave. You're going to make it to the grave just fine without ever picking up a scrap of the second kind of knowledge the second education, the knowledge that comes from the second education that would give you the opportunity to change your being. It's not necessary. As you gain knowledge of your being, you'll be able to begin separating from certain aspects of it. A girl who always picks alcoholics and drug users to be in a relationship with has a broken, dysfunctional being. Knowledge of this is the beginning of understanding being. To begin to see... I always attract these kinds of people. Now, that doesn't mean, gee, I just hate these people and they just keep coming into my life. No, I seek them out. I am attracted to them. There is something about them that I find fascinating. Now, I know a person like this who always attracts alcoholics and drug abusers. And she finally one day realized, if there are a 100 men in a room, the ones who I'm going to be attracted to even though they may all look the same, I'm going to be attracted to the ones who are drug abusers. She had to finally realize that if there were 100 men in a room, she would be attracted to the ones who were drug abusers. Okay. Now, she doesn't know why and she doesn't know how, but she does know that much. She knows now that if she's in a room with 100 men or 10 men, she'll pick out, she'll be attracted to, she'll want to be, she'll just automatically drift toward the ones who are the drug abusers. Now, for whatever reason, and people will make up lots and lots of stuff about this, and some of it will be true. Some of it will be real experience, and they'll say, well, they're always the guys who are living on the edge. They're always the guys who are a little bad. They're always the guys who need a little fixing, and that gives me a purpose, or whatever. All of those things may be true, or none of those things may be true. The truth is that your being always attracts that. And when you have accepted that, now you have something that you can work on. Now you have something that you are able to begin separating from. So knowledge then is really, truly the beginning of understanding our being. Armed with this knowledge, she can begin to choose not to go with these being attractions. Okay, I have always been with guys like this, and it never turns out well. I really don't like it. I end up paying all the bills. I end up 
the only one with a job, I end up taking care of this person, I end up doing this, I end up doing, and they end up lying to me, they end up stealing from me, they end up coming home drunk or coming home stoned or not coming home at all, they end up sleeping with other people, and I just end up taking care of all this. And it happens over and over and over again, no matter how many times I am attracted to a man, he always turns out to be this kind of a man. Okay, now she has an idea that this is what her being attracts, and this is something that's worth separating from. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't think I want to do this anymore. If you always do what you always did, you always get what you always got. I think I would like to train my being to not do this anymore. How am I going to do that? Well, first you start with the knowledge, and you begin separating from what you know, what you know your being attracts. Is this denial of it? No. This is denial of what comes from your being attracting this. This is in my being because there's something in my being that's not quite right. Eventually, she'll change her being so that she no longer attracts such broken machines. How long will that take? This I do not know. This can only happen through metanoia. Metanoia, as you recall, is change of mind. No new knowledge, no metanoia, no change of being. You have no new knowledge if you do not become aware of the fact that you are always attracting these. It's your being that attracts these people. It's your being that does it. This is good news. It's not bad news. Oh, my being is so awful. I don't know. <laughs> what am I going to do with my being? I can't help myself. I just want to be with these horrible people. It's your being. Like someone else said the other day, someone wrote to me and said, men are such liars. And I said, well, that's true. And so are women. As a matter of fact, we're all liars. We all have lied. We all are lying now about something. And we will all lie about something in the future. We're all liars. And according to the work, we all talk about things that we don't know as if we did know. And that's the worst kind of lie there is. Because it's a lie of pretension. It's a lie of saying, I know something that I don't know. I am something that I am not. And it's the worst because it keeps you in this mechanical dream world where you think you're something that you're not. And you can never change your being. You can never transform your being. Because you don't know there's anything wrong with it. So, no new knowledge. No metanoia. No metanoia, no change of being. If we could see this girl, this whoever this girl is, and she's really nobody, but she's made up. She's a certain girl. So it's, the parables in the Bible would say a certain man came to a certain town. And so this certain girl who lives in a certain town has this being bubble. And if we could see her being bubble spiritually, we'd see something in a wrong place. We would see something lacking or out of proportion, out of balance. We would see something too heavy here and too light there so that it didn't quite balance. That's what we would see if we could see her being bubble spiritually. Now, a proud person who gets angry, who gets violent, who is suspicious, who overvalues himself, feels superior to other people, and always feels like he's surrounded by enemies, has a mist-shaped being bubble. It's been squished in a certain area. And you can see how it could happen, can't you? If you think a proud person who is suspicious, why would they be suspicious? Well, if he overvalues himself, and all proud people, meaning all of us, overvalue ourselves. That's part of what pride is. Pride is an overvaluation of yourself. Overvaluation of yourself. And it makes you feel superior. So you look for flaws in other people so that you can feel superior. Well, I'm better than that. I don't do that. Now, what is the result of this? Well, you have to be suspicious then. 
<laughs> you have to be because you know that you're better than these other people. You know that they can't be trusted. You know that they're going to let you down. And you know that essentially you're surrounded by enemies. So you can see very easily in this certain person, whoever this person is, this character that we have just invented, who is a proud person who gets angry and violent suspicions, overvalues himself, feels superior and surrounded by enemies, we can see that this person has a misshaped being. There's something wrong about their being bubble, something not properly balanced. Now, it affects all those who come within its sphere of influence. So everybody who gets around this bubble is affected by this. They're affected by this attitude of, I'm better than you. They're affected by this attitude of, you know, don't cross me. You know people like this. You may be a person like this. Don't cross me. You're not going to like it if you don't make me happy. And if you're a suspicious person, you're going to think everybody else is suspicious all the time, too. Have you ever noticed that? If you have something that you're not facing in your being, you're going to be facing it in other people's being. You're going to say, well, they're this way or they're that way, or they don't like me unless I do this, or they don't. So it's like that. So all of these things affect the people that come within our sphere of being. All animals, insects, have an intelligent being bubble that attracts the life they're supposed to live. A ladybug lives the life of a ladybug. A grasshopper lives the life of a grasshopper. A squirrel lives the life of a squirrel. You can look at squirrels, look at, you know, the amazing thing, the thing that used to truly amaze me about raising geese was that they'd come out of the egg and they'd all act like geese. Not one of them ever act like a dog or a cat or a chicken. They all, every single one, without ever seeing another goose, they all started to act like a goose. And it's their being that makes them like that. They know it because of their being how they're supposed to live, and they live that way. Only man hasn't got this intelligent being bubble. Only man. Of all the animals, of all creation that we know of here on this planet, only man hasn't got this. He's a special case, capable of becoming a different order of being through spiritual transformation. This is a glorious thing, but for us, we take it as this horrible thing. Oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to be. Find out. That's what this work is about. It's about finding out. Once you've become the good householder, once you have done what you're supposed to do in life, once you have discovered that life is never, ever, ever going to satisfy you in the deepest, most meaningful way, once you have discovered that, once you realize that life in and of itself is not the purpose, You've come a long way. That is huge. We must study our being, learn to ascribe to ourselves what happens to us. Now, here's where I want you to pay special attention. What happens to us recurrently. Not what happens to you once in a while. What happens to you recurrently. If you always pick alcoholics and drug abusers, if you always are attracted to them, that's a recurrent theme. That's recurring process. That's a recurring cycle in your life. You need to be paying attention to that. Rather than blaming others, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, if you attract this, you know, this kind of person, a person who's always flattering you and always telling you how wonderful you are, if you attract that kind of a person, that's a recurrent theme. That's something that needs to be looked at. That's something that needs to be examined. An unexamined life is not worth living, someone said. I just can't remember who it was now. And the thing is, is that we do all of this mechanically. We blame other people mechanically. Whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, we blame them. It's like, oh, well, he's so wonderful. He always does this. He, he's so wonderful. 
Now, I get this all the time. I get both, obviously. I get people who think that I'm wonderful and people that think that I'm horrible. It's like, wait a second. First of all, I'm not wonderful. I'm also not horrible. I'm just another being trying to work out my transformation. That's all. And yes, I have unpleasant manifestations. And yes, I'm working on them to the best of my ability. And of course, it's not going to meet with your specifications. You're not me. You don't have my being to work on. Oh, yes, I do. Oh, no, you don't. You have your being to work on. And all the time that you're wasting working on my being, your being is falling apart. That's like having a neighbor's house. Your house needs to be painted, so you go paint your neighbor's house. Your neighbor's roof leaks and it rains. Your roof is leaking too, but you go over and fix your neighbor's roof. Great for your neighbor. But what about your roof? What about your house? What about your being? What about your being bubble? What are you doing about that? This is what we need to be working on. We can change our being by applying the knowledge of esoteric ideas to ourselves through self-observation. We always come back to that, don't we, that through self-observation. It's always got to be through self-observation, but it's got to be proper self-observation, non-identified. You can't change something if you're identified with it any more than you can pick up the chair that you're sitting on. You can't do it. You've got to get off it first. You'll never alter your being by being told what to do either. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. I'll do that. That will not change your being. That will not alter your being. That will just make you blame someone else. That's all it will do. You must see for yourself what your being is like and see what you must do about it in that moment. What moment? In the moment that you see your being. In the moment that you see what your being is like. In that moment, you will see what you must do to change it. In that moment... Do what you must do to change it. You light up an instant matter. What's part of a cosmic